What's up, everybody? It's another edition of Free Association on the Sportsnet Podcast Network. I am Jamie Bunkus. He is Donovan Bennett. I'm in a new location. I'm out of the city, sir. I am in beautiful... I don't think that there's ever like really a downtown Armprior, but I am in beautiful Armprior, Ontario, where my mother has a pool and where there have been no new cases of coronavirus for the last couple of days in this Renfrew County. And I got to say, being out of the city is it's suiting me a little bit right now. I'm, I'm enjoying it. How's city life? I mean, there's no real point to be in the city when no. everything city like is shut down. So uh, and anyone who's looking to move out of the city and shout out to Lori Ewing, who um, is doing yeoman's work, no longer covering basketball for the time being, but covering the coronavirus. She had a piece about, um, you know, millennials moving out of the city full time because of COVID uh, for many of the reasons that you've described. Yeah, there's no point in, in being in the city. It's a lot safer to be outside of it. In, I think, where are you like, is that close to Guelph? No, it's it's uh it's in the Ottawa Valley, so it's like a okay, thirty-five minute direction. drive to Ottawa. Yeah, west. Uh, not not even close. Um, uh, it, it it's much safer, I'm sure, there as there are a phase ahead of us in the rollout here in Ontario, and it's probably much safer than Orlando, who, the Florida region, but Orlando specifically having, um, you know, daily records of increased cases of coronavirus. Um, not, uh, not ideal when you're supposed to put a, a bubble there with, with NBA players and staff and personnel, but here we are, uh, yeah. trying to start a season in the midst of a global pandemic. So I was joking about this today. We had Kevin Pangos on good show. And I said that we don't have sports statistics here in North America to be really going over. So everyone is becoming a statistician when it comes to coronavirus numbers. It's like, did you see the numbers coronavirus is putting up in Florida? Yeah, they're getting crazy. Oh, do you see the defense that they're playing in Toronto right now? Getting a phase two, getting a second round of the playoffs. Like Corona, Corona has a sports element to it with the numbers that uh, we're just seeing on a daily basis and everybody's tracking it. Everybody knows them. But because everybody knows them, you see the Florida numbers and you say, excuse me, I saw that they had over 4,000 cases the other day. And that was up Saturday. From, yeah. Yeah. It's like 4,000 cases, new cases in, in a day. And my understanding of the situation in Florida is this from, from talking to Bobby Marks is that those areas that are being hit pretty hard are not the areas where the Toronto Raptors have headed down to Naples, Florida. They are not the area where, uh, the world of Disney is Disneyland is in Florida. But yeah, it seems pretty clear that when you're dealing with cases in the thousands on a daily rate that I wouldn't be looking at, you know, a small, uh, a smaller place a little further north as all of a sudden a, a safety zone. This has got this is a major concern for the NBA. And it's why Adam Silver had to address the league and talk about it. And primarily, I, I think that there are two conversations now that are happening. And, and you tell me if I'm if I'm missing one of them. One is. The protocols in the 113-page document that we went over last week, they involve people that are not staying at the resort, that the support staff, and it is a large support staff, will not be getting daily tests like the players, that the protocols will be that they're all working in the same places so that there's not a lot of cross-contamination, and that they will be temperature checked and they will have the same kind of cursory checks that you get when you go into a grocery store. 
and that they will have these devices that will alert them whenever they're within six feet of someone for longer than five seconds. So it's something, but it's clearly not ideal. And we're talking about, you know, probably, I don't really want to guess, but at least into the well into the hundreds of people that are support staff for, for these events. And two is, hey, um, did the NBA get a little cocky in terms of the amount of teams that we brought here? You said it from the very beginning. The goal of this thing is to get it done, is to finish it. And now that you've added these regular season games and you've added the Washington Wizards and the the Phoenix Suns, people are kind of looking at it like, hey, um, maybe we should have just started the playoffs. Maybe there should have been one play-in game between a couple of teams. Maybe you gave uh, Zion a shot and uh, and the Trailblazers a shot to get in against somebody or Memphis. You play a four-team tournament out West, something separate from this. But ultimately, do we feel as good about the amount of teams and and the return to play format because yeah i think each team gets what 35 players and personnel so 17 players and then uh and then 12 other members that that get to fill out the staff and now all of a sudden you're looking at this and you're saying okay we've added 70 people unnecessarily at, at bare minimum like yeah it, it's starting to i, I think the conversation is going to evolve here over the next couple of months is is there something i missed i don't think so and uh, for reference um Teams normally travel with 50 players, right? So that's, you know, the difference in terms of the headcount that you're looking at. This is totally aside, but I actually find it going to be somewhat fascinating to see who, like, who's making that list. So if, if yeah. you're the Raptors, one of their um, intrinsic advantages, because you, you find advantages in different ways, one of them, and the Raptors have been really smart and diligent about this, is saying, okay, there's a cap on players. We get it. There's only so much amount of money that every team can spend on players. And really, there's a cap on bodies you can have because you have, um, you know, set numbers in terms of your roster and your two ways, so on and so forth. There's no cap on coaches. There's yeah. no cap on assistant coaches. We could spend bank on assistant coaches and have that be a competitive advantage. It could be a one-to-one teaching relationship. This is like a private school where you're getting more class time over here. We are going to spend and we're going to have two and a half rows of coaches. We're going to have coaches upon coaches upon coaches. Well... We, that advantage kind of slips when you're only allowed to have bring so many people. And it's like, are we going to bring a second doctor and drop one of our coaches? Are we going to, are we going to, you know, bring a second person to deal with the laundry? Because that's like a real issue to make sure that everything is clean and, and drop a skill position coach or, or a video coordinator. How are we going to make those decisions? Or is Masai and Bobby and Teresa going to stay home? Because really, how do they impact winning on campus? Those are going to be some of the fascinating decisions that are made within organizations. This is a total separate aside. It's something that was on the forefront of my No, no, no. But mind. I actually, no, but that's important. And and I do think that that is, that is really going to be from a, uh, from a nuts and bolts aspect. It, it's going to be very, very fascinating. Like what if you are LeBron James and you have like, you remember um, Tom Brady's guy, Alex Guerrero, who he wanted mm-hmm. to have on the team plane and to cause strife within the Patriots. And if you really look back at, Okay, what were the breadcrumbs of the fracturing between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick? Well, it seems like Alex Guerrero was a big part of it. And I'm sure that there will be much more cohesiveness in these decisions and that guys will be very, very thoughtful as to who they should be bringing and and who is the essential service member of the team or not. But yeah, I do think that there is still potential for, say, a guy of LeBron James's magnitude or... Let's say it's someone who's less thoughtful than him, someone a little bit more selfish around the league who has someone that they're really invested in that, you know, really takes care of their body, a chef, who knows, uh, a masseuse, a, a trainer. 
and they really want them to be a part of the 35 and the organization says, Hey, do you really want uh, one of our assistant GMs not to come or an assistant coach can come so that you can have a, a little bit more individual support for yourself? And like, yeah, what happens if those stories do start to arise? What happens if they do crop up? How are some coaches going to feel if, you know, you thought you were on level footing with another coach in the organization, like the Raptors, and all of a sudden one of your guys doesn't get to go? Let's just say, for example, this is not a report at all, but let's just say, for example, you you have to choose and and big cat, Jamal McGlure thinks he's going, and all of a sudden you're de- delivering the news that he's not. I, I think it's going to be hard for some people to accept that. We all want to be important. We all want to be in the top 35. These are all people with a lot of pride. They're in a very competitive field. Of course, it's going to be difficult for them to absorb this news. And of course, there's potential for there to be a little bit of drama in a league that, frankly, uh, really never has a short supply of it. Yeah, so one rule as you go through and, and look through the minutiae of the the you know 100 plus pages, no agents allowed, which yeah. to me is is like, sorry, Rich Paul. You, yeah, you can't, that's right? yeah. There's like only that's, one agent that was ever. What going other agent yeah, could they yeah. have been referring to? <laughs> yeah. So that's already strike one for yeah. LeBron in terms of you know who he could or could not have there. It, yeah, th- these are going to be interesting, I guess, unintended consequences as teams work through this stuff. And it's another reason why theoretically that 35 number could have been 45. To your point, yeah. if you only had 16 teams there right. instead of 22, and it, as much as part of this conversation is. We don't want this weird tournament that we're doing to hand out the trophy to distract from the real conversations that are having in terms of Black Lives Matter. I'll double down on that. When you have 94,000 total cases in a small area and you have a, a governor that's been you know, quite reckless in, in terms of how he has used his power in this very uh, topic, and one of the reasons you said you were going there is because, hey, they've got it under control. WWE's there, so that's the place to go. Well, you can't say that now, so you can't argue out of both sides of your mouth. If we see two, three, four, five weeks from now a really, really ugly situation around the bubble, I understand that the bubble is supposed to protect you if the area outside of it is really bad with the virus or not. That's why it's a bubble. But if you see a really bad situation around the bubble... How insensitive is it going to be if you're playing play in game three of potentially five or six for said team to catch up or not catch up and make the playoffs? Like it's just going to be tone deaf. There's a reason why there weren't Serie A games going on in the middle of Italy when the whole country was locked down. Mm-hmm. It's because there, there were bigger fish to fry. So same way how many players are saying, well, I think this Black Lives Matter thing is real pressing and real urgent. I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that when we're supposed to be playing games and reporting to camp in a couple weeks, that Florida is going to be a lot more serious than it has when this protocol was put in place in the first place. Has old Governor Ron replaced George W. on the aircraft carrier with Mission Accomplished as the guy that modern day people point to when it comes to the victory lap before the actual victory has taken place probably yeah sadly. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just i really do think like there's if if you're looking at just who who's doing yeah we beat it we beat coronavirus we told you it was all fake and now he's like doing something i was reading today where he's like it's farm workers like what 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 are we okay whatever sure uh, whatever florida uh you're in your own place Remember the 
Kanye video with Michael Myers beside him, just mortified after Katrina, where Kanye's like, George Bush doesn't care about oh, black yeah. people. I laughed because it was just like to the point. But we, we do know that black people are predisposed to one, uh, get coronavirus more than their white counterparts and die from it, more so because of the white counterparts, and to be laid off because of it, more so in comparison to the white counterparts. What is stopping Dame Lillard or Carmelo Anthony or whoever who's just fed up at some point in the middle of a press conference just blurting out, uh, we shouldn't be playing and Donald Trump and Adam Silver don't care about black people. Like, if they said that, could you actually say that they're wrong? If the types of projections that we're now seeing in terms of the curve not flattening but but really spiking in Florida happens over the the next three months? Yeah, so there's there's a couple things here. And something that you, you noted, I, I hadn't thought about because... Yeah, I I've spent more of the weekend like at home with some family. It kind of sat down. I saw the conference call. I thought, okay, my first thought was, well, are they going to play basketball? But let's say they do play basketball and they are in the middle of Florida and that this is happening. We have discussed on the last two podcasts about the right time to be coming back to play basketball because of the social movement that is happening in North America right now and and whether or not it makes more sense for players to be saying, okay, um, should I be taking this time away from the game? Does it make sense for us to have a distraction right now when it seems like it's really important not to be distracted? And I think you and I, and, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think we came to a similar conclusion, which is, listen, you actually, if LeBron James, who has been um, as much of an activist for social change as, as anyone uh, that, you know, anyone among us, anyone in North America today, has takes the position of, well, you know what, this is what I want to do. And I think that you can do both and that we can use this platform and we can stay on message and all of those things that, okay, yeah, you, you can really talk me into that. That was kind of the logic that I was employing. But now if you are in the middle again of this pandemic and Florida is, let's say these numbers continue to go up and that it doesn't just burn its way through and, and end up actually being safer because there's a potential for that as well, right? Like you could end up seeing this go away. The, the NBA is still well over a month away from from returning. Uh, I shouldn't say well over a month. It's June 22nd today as we're recording this. But we're still a month away. So this thing is a moving target. But all of a sudden, if we're talking about safety for the players, then you do. You start to muddy the waters a little bit in terms of what the players are able to say and do. And and it does change, it does change the messaging that I do think that the majority of the league wants right now, which is not to be about health and safety, that that should be kind of taken care of. And that if there is any discussion around the game that does not involve basketball, it's the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, I mean, but I, and I don't think it's a far stretch to link uh, the two the two things that are going on right now. The COVID-19 has and will kill more black people in the United States uh, or Canada uh, in, in this calendar year than police will. So I, I think certainly when you look at the systemic uh, and systematic oppression of racialized people in North America, part, part of the uh, byproducts of that is not having the same access to health care, not mm -hmm. having the, the same opportunities in employment where you are doing jobs that leave you more susceptible to COVID-19 or you are forced to work because you can't afford to take time off, and thus you, you get COVID-19 and your living conditions 
in apartments, uh, living on top of the pe- each other in, in small jam-packed communities make you more predisposed to to catching the virus. So I, I, I totally see symmetry between the two movements and not actually something that's divergent. And it's funny because many people are saying, you know what, if Kyrie Irving or Dwight Howard said, I'm not willing to play because I'm afraid of catching the virus, that would be okay. And I would say, no questions asked, we get it. But in terms of making a political statement, the, you know, that's a little bit different and there's, that's a little bit more nuanced. Well, in fact, forget about them catching the virus. If they're saying they're not, or, or and I'm not saying this for them, but but if if they at some point said, we're not willing to play because we need to have a deeper dive and a more critical look at all of these issues, and one of them is this virus that is killing black people the same way that police are, I, I, I think that's totally fair and valued. And, and this is the interesting thing because I don't know what my answer is, and I don't really even know if there's a right answer. On one end of the spectrum, people are saying economic power is your power. Go make your money, use that in your communities, and use that platform of the games to make a statement. On the flip side, people say withhold your power and don't play, and that makes a statement and keeps the focus on the main thing. 1968 Olympics are a great example. Everyone remembers Tommy Smith and John Carlos and their powerful salute uh, on the on the podium after after you know they finished in gold and in bronze position in the 400 meters. But they don't remember as readily that Luel Cinder at the time, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, boycotted those Olympics and he didn't go. And that was the message that he sent, but yet no one really talks about that in comparison with his legacy. We focus on Tommy Smith and John Carlos because they were visible symbols mm-hmm. of protest, but we don't actually see the invisible symbol. And so based off of that alone, I'm not really sure which one makes a more powerful statement or which one is actually more prudent. I think it depends on what your goal is. Because I think if you're the players and you're saying we're going to withhold labor, it's because you're trying to put more pressure on the owners, the billionaires in your league to to use their checkbooks and to use their political power to mobilize change that you actually want to see something from them. And again, this is just my this is just my look at it, that if it's the other, which is trying to get the most eyeballs and get the most attention then it's to me clearly it's playing. I just think that yes, the the figurative podium that these guys are going to all have by playing NBA games is going to have a far greater and and unified reach than a the day or two or week after the the guys all collectively would were to make a decision not to play or a large group of players not to play. I, I don't I, as of right now. Um, and as of who I've talked to, there doesn't seem to be a strong indication that there will be a lot of guys to hold out. In fact, we've only seen one player that's not going right now. That's Davis Bertans, the, the center slash power forward for the Washington Wizards, who is, is holding out and not wanting to play because he's a free agent at the end of the year. And we're going to find out in the next coming days. And you know what? Maybe we're going to have to do an emergency podcast to, to turn this around based on what ends up happening on, I believe it's Wednesday because yeah, transaction window opens up tomorrow and then Wednesday is going to be whether or not whether players have to declare their intentions of going or not. But yeah, I, I do think that we're going to see a few guys. I think Dwight Howard is still the most interesting name on the board that has made public statements and has the most impact for a meaningful team as of right now. But yeah, I, I am curious to see how the how the testing, how 
these discussions over the last couple of days are, are going to evolve with certain players and, and what they are going to say and how the league is going to try to address these things a little bit better because yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, I think the conference call from Adam Silver, where he says we're monitoring these things closely, it's, it, it might have to be a little bit more definitive for some players. Some guys are going to need a little bit more. Yeah, Renee Montgomery is the Atlanta Dream Guard in the WNBA, who's the first player in that league to opt out of playing for the expressed reason of focusing on societal justice issues. Wednesday is the day that players need to announce if they are in or out. It'll be interesting to see kind of what that list looks like and what really the reasons are given in terms of upcoming free agency, as you mentioned. It's something Donovan Mitchell had expressed some concern about the health risk or, or just really the risk of you know leaving your family for that extended period of time and the the focus on societal issues that are going on right now i i do think because here's the here's the the tough part you're gonna let's say you're you're holding out because you want to make a statement about this cause holding out until when racism right. is right. over like that's 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 not feasible and you're so, never playing again well, so Pretty much, yeah, because there's always going to be something that really, if we're being honest, is more important to focus on than basketball. So I don't, I'm not really sure when, when you, when, when's the the end game. I'm not saying like Jay Z, we're past kneeling, right? Like I don't think that's the way I'm approaching this. But I do think that there are some tangible things you can ask the owners for, and yep. and think, forget about this moment. What happens next season? Like this can't just be an Orlando scenario, and then we, we all forget and fatigue. This can't just be T-shirts or hashtags on the court. Like, it has to be tangible in terms of changes. And really, I think for most companies and businesses, work on fixing your own house first. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, over 70% of the, the league um, at any given time is African-American. Yet the amount of head coaches is is far from that. Um, it's, it's, you know, around, uh, 26% when you look at front office staff, head coaches and, and GMs, um, Masai Jury is the only president. Half of the GMs don't actually have final, uh, say in terms of transaction. Like that's something that you can fix right now. I mean, you, you can't, as Adam Silver, force people to hire people, but you certainly can put in, you know, Rooney rule type initiatives to make sure that you're looking at a, a wider canvas of people. And, and again, I think a lot of it is just systemic issues that, you know, people hire their friends and people they have a relationship with. I mean, the, the Warriors are the a, a great example of, you know, Steve Kerr was Bob Meyer's friend. And Steve Kerr is obviously a great coach, but he wasn't certainly qualified for the, for the role at the time. Mike Dunleavy walks off the court without any experience becomes the assistant GM and the, the Warriors are a great example of a great organization and they do have some diversity within their team but it's just a, an example of how people ascend to positions of power and we love to crush the Bulls before they went ahead and signed Mark Eversley not only a, an African American but really an African Canadian but but I think we, if you look at the top organizations, they can do a, a better job of exploring some of these things. Is it a, an initiative to get black players experience in terms of coaching and front office? Looking at the actual league front office, forget about the teams, the league front office is not overly diverse. Those are things that the NBA could do right now before it even addresses some of the things that are happening you know, in our communities. 
Yeah, I don't know about the Rooney rule just because it hasn't been all that effective in the NFL. And yeah, there has been some instances and I've always heard the cases, well, at least you're interviewing black candidates and like, okay, that's good. Guys do get experience, but yeah, you see an off season where Eric Bieniemy doesn't get hired and Joe Judge, who was like getting the towels for the Patriots, like I'd never heard of Joe Judge and all of a sudden he's the coach of the New York Giants and you go, well, how effective is this rule? To be honest, when I look at it, the, the best proposal that I've seen still to this date is just incentivizing teams to do it is that teams are teams are ruthless, like and they're competitive. And the way in order for you to make sure that you start evaluating minority hires differently or that you start cutting down on, uh, I don't know, nepotism is more of an NFL thing. But yeah, that you start cutting down on the, the friendship clubs is to incentivize teams say listen if you have more diversity within your staffs you are going to be compensated more with something in the draft or having some type of salary cap relief like it the, the league's gonna have to get creative uh i think more so than just simply well we're mandating a, an interview because guess what it should already be that way anyways and and it just isn't um I, I forgot where I was going with this now. My, I just got completely sidetracked. <laughs> it's like we, well, we're, we're all I'll over just, the place here. I'll just answer the incentivizing. And I, I, listen, I sure. love uh, antithetical ideas and being aggressive and radical and lo- looking at different solutions because the ones that we currently have are not working. I, it, I do feel it's problematic in the sense of you're all you're basically labeling someone a diversity hire as soon as they're getting hired which is um you know a label that you know minorities struggle with to begin with i I, if i had a dollar for every time someone tweeted at me that i'm just a diversity hire uh, i would be very rich the the second part of that is okay well you mentioned it people are are ruthless and they're competitive and you could find an economy where you're incentivized to hire a black coach get the draft picks fire him really quickly you keep you still have the draft picks and hire somebody else and so when we already know that black coaches often get jobs to start that are that are poor it's not just that they don't get hired it's that when they do get hired they're being hired on on bad teams where you mentioned judge he was hired by the giants like they they were bad last year but they have a you know a young quarterback and a a good running back and in stable ownership like it's an attractive job that, that that's one of the things where you're already set up to fail and and could that you know have black guys just be hired for the picks and thus fired so we've got some new things for you this nba season and no it's not just terrence davis playing so well we have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more our weekly newsletter from nba editor stephen leung it gives you original content opinion analysis you can't find it anywhere else and it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox sportsnet.ca slash newsletters just subscribe and we got you the other issue is and when you look at the nba eight black gms um eight black head coaches so that's around 27 percent of um of the league's exposure it to me it's not even just those roles those visible roles how many cap guys are black, right? Like, like how, how many uh, heads of the medical, um, you know, subdivision of a franchise are black? Like, I, I think just addressing the visible roles is like, oh, we're just putting Band-Aids on this problem. Look, look how black we look. When in actuality, you got to look at the problem holistically so that black and brown employees aren't just 
front facing they're filling out the organization because those are the touch points that players have all the time and it would be helpful for them to have people that look like them in those roles and it would send a good message to the greater community as well yeah i it, to me it's it's the the disappointing part is that if you just look at it from the vantage point of hey uh diversity should make your organization stronger from period like if you're this competitive organization you're trying to figure out all right, we're working within the smallest of margins in terms of how to win. Why wouldn't you want um, more people who come from different backgrounds? Like, why wouldn't you want that as much as possible? I can't remember where I saw this, but there, I think maybe it was the Raiders, but they were just talking about how, yeah, like if you have a problem that you'd be able to go and, and speak to someone that you can relate to and that you, that everyone would have a touch point. I'm like, of course. Like that just makes so much sense in, in just about any workplace that you have. To me, the, the the difficulty is, okay, like you mentioned, I think that any plan that you have is going to have drawbacks because it's just, it's so sticky. It's it's such a complicated situation in the first place. Like you're talking about um, eliminating old structures and, and challenging old powers and finding ways to to change dynamics. And I just don't think that there's ever going to be a plan that I would look at and say, well, this one is going to be fail safe or this one is going to be foolproof outside of just being a good intent and intelligent organization. Like, I, I just think that anything that is mandated or anything that is going to be a rule is is always going to be tricky. Um, do you have a final thought on this? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, you mentioned the competitive angle and that's the part of it that I don't really get. And so, you yeah. know. Bob Myers is, has a great run in, in Golden State. And so everyone, you know, it's cocky cat league. Let's go get us a, a, an agent, someone who understands relationships. And so Rob Palenka gets a job and all of a sudden everyone wants to, to hire agents. The New York Knicks go the exact same route. Masai Jury wins a championship. Why aren't people saying, oh, okay, why don't we get someone who has ties all over the globe, who, who's got a, a pipeline into Africa? Why don't we get ourselves a Masai Jury? The Knicks thought, Oh, let's get the massager. Let's get look the at the one, Raptors staff and and front office. Like, yeah, yeah. But that, that's what I mean. Like, why aren't people trying to model that behavior? And on the flip side, you know, Joe Dumars, he was you know a, a great executive. Went to six straight conference finals. He, he he he. Things went south in Detroit, no question. But really, like, he doesn't get another interview. Like, not even like we're going to bring him in. We're going to talk to him. He doesn't get another opportunity. So you can't just have it where. In order to be a front office person, if you're black, you have had to play in the NBA because it's just such a high bar to clear that is not the same for their white counterparts. And on the flip side, whether you have someone who's been outstanding in the role in the past or you have someone who's outstanding in the role right now, why aren't you looking to model some of that behavior in your franchise? That's the part of it from a competitive standpoint I don't really get. Forget about the morals. I will say that there there has... Like sometimes we we know that this isn't the way that things should be, but that we get that we we do lose a little bit of focus on the fact that change is happening, right? Because we look for the ideal immediately, and and you do like a bypass that's like, yeah, you know what? The Raptors did just win a championship this way, and you know maybe there are some teams that are evaluating things differently, and maybe there are groups that that are doing this right now. It's just that when we don't have the immediacy of it, sometimes I do wonder if we go like, hey, uh, sometimes we end up. We end up looking past some some of the positives that are happening, especially in a league like the NBA. But ultimately, I just I think that you're you're right here is that the conversation still is going to be for the next for the next month essentially is going to be about what exactly the league is going to do up and beyond this this season, 
and what are the owners going to do? And just to tie it kind of back into to where we started here, which is looking forward to, is it too late, Donovan, to have the NBA say to the Phoenix Suns and the Washington Wizards, yeah, you're not, you're not going. Like, it's, it's not happening. Like, is it too late for them to change the format in terms of how many teams are returning to this thing? I don't think it's too late. No one's gone on a flight. I mean, right. the, the, the games haven't been played. So I don't think it's too late. And I actually think, so one of the many, and, and you know, maybe in a future pod when we, we have run out of exhaustive ways to talk about this, we'll go through all the quirky details in the 100-game plan. Like, you know, the fact that you're not allowed to do snot rockets, which you probably shouldn't be allowed to do anyways because it's just disgusting, stuff like that. Anyways, um, but more importantly, one of the things that was funny was um, the emphasis on self-reporting and so that teams were supposed to self-report on their players if they're breaking any of the, the rules that were put in and whatever the penalties will be adjudicated. Instead of like um, load management, could you just like self-report on your player so that he has to miss a game or two so that he could rest or just miss the rest of the bubble? Like whenever the Suns are eliminated from this ridiculous thing, can they just self-report on uh, Devin Booker so he could go home and, and not risk injury or virus? Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I do think that teams will be at some point very proactive, especially for the ones that, again, are not legitimately, you know, title contenders, will be very proactive in shutting their players down. But also, I think if you're smart, there will be an open dialogue with saying, okay, you came down, maybe you were comfortable with it, checking in, are you still comfortable? Do you want to check out? Do you want to go back? I, I think all of those things are um, are totally up for grabs because I think people will certainly remember how the league as a whole, but certainly individual franchises handle this and how compassionate and sympathetic they are because one we're not very far from free agency to be quite honest and two i think there's real currency in this like this this is a unique way that you can show your players that you actually value them as human beings you can put up posters that say family and together and all that stuff and have a nice family room with catered food this is a way you can really show that you care about the lives of your players uh and i think people are going to be pretty intentional on on making sure they meet their players where they are and make sure they're comfortable at all times yeah i i keep looking at this thing and wondering what we're going to see over the next couple of days but i'll always look at stuff with sports and these return to play scenarios is always like okay well what's the upside and what's the downside and it's like when it comes to at least those two teams specifically and hell you can make the case for a lot of not just starting the playoffs in general it's like okay so what's the upside all right the upside of this return to play is that you have a really competitive Western Conference and that the Wizards go on this run and you end up with two play-in games and it's really exciting and everybody's engaged. But like, is that even most likely? Like, What are the odds of that happening? What, isn't this more likely that uh, you end up with a couple of teams that lose early? Uh, maybe the Sacramento Kings and maybe the Spurs and maybe the Suns and they're all kind of out of it. And now you're three games in and the final five, your players are going, well, what the hell are we doing here? We kind of want to pack it up and, and leave. Like, I don't want to play any meaningless games, as Damian Lillard put it. And now you've got this really awkward situation where uh, the Lakers are sitting players, uh, the Bucks, the Raptors, everybody's kind of sitting out games because they don't want to have injuries. They don't want to add miles to the tires because they're not playing for anything once their positions are set. And you don't really have any competitiveness at the bottom. And you've just got like a couple of teams maybe in the middle that are playing for something, but they end up having a schedule where they're looking at it and playing scrubs. Like, I, 
I just I, I keep looking at this now and saying I don't I, I don't think it's a moving target and no one's going to blame the NBA if they just say, hey, you know what? We're going to tweak this. We're, we're going to eliminate a couple of teams and we're sort of those fan bases. But let's be real. You probably didn't have a shot anyways. Actual last one before we go. Uh, the I mentioned it. The NBA's transaction window is tomorrow. Uh, we're recording this Monday, June 22nd. So the 23rd. Um, is there anything at all that interests you? A uh, a player like does Tyler Johnson pique Donovan Bennett's interest? Does does Jamal Crawford pique your interest? It, I wouldn't imagine the Raptors do anything outside of the G League, based on yeah the the culture of their team, the parameters which they're working with, the depth of the organization. But but is there a player out there that you look at and think, hey, you could actually I could see you being in a nine man rotation for a playoff team that counts? Not really, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> I, I I feel like in and this is a good problem to have but i feel like the raptors have too many rotation players oh yeah uh, that can play especially because no, they don't need tyler johnson they don't I'm no sorry. and one one issue they they it's not a real issue it's their champagne problems but one of the things that i guess masked the issue this season was that someone was always hurt at least yeah. someone if not multiple people so theoretically with everyone coming back rested and healthy or as healthy as they're gonna be um i am fascinated to see what the bubble rotation is to start so no i don't actually uh i don't think i'm from a, a small sample i don't think i'm interested in terms of anyone um transactionally with the raptors the, the most fascinating thing in terms of the raptors and storyline is oh we save it we got other podcasts to do be careful <laughs> okay just i'll just tweak it I'll, I'll promo the grand destino tower at coronado yeah. springs where the top four teams in each conference are going to be and some tampering may exist i'm just oh, saying yeah, you have all the, the you have the best yeah. teams in one hotel you have free agency literally around the corner this yeah. year but everyone's really thinking about free agency next year the conversations that you can have there's going to be those those tracker bracelets that basically you know alert people if you are within you know the six some odd feet with someone for more than five seconds that's not part of your team i i just i'm very interested in seeing some of that that tracking data as to who is where close mm -hmm. to whom um because there's just uh i mean there's just some players <laughs> on other teams data <laughs> that might be that might look good in toronto and and now you know nick nurse and messiah is maybe that's a reason why messiah goes and you know, I'm sorry, big cat. You don't make the call because Masai is going to have to have a, a late night conversation in the billiards room with a certain small forward to set the uh, tone for, for future seasons. I'm just saying that the tampering, um, and, and this is like the distraction upon distractions, the tampering scenarios I find fascinating. How mad is, is Steph Curry and Steve Kerr that they're not going to be there to, to recruit people? for like four seasons from now when they have cap space again. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, for what? For when they decide to finally figure out where they're going to dump Draymond Green? Like, that's that's the only way that, <laughs> that they're doing that. Um, yeah, I you just gave me a topic for next week, so thank you for that. You just inspired a thought that uh, that will help us, I hope, uh, as we get more into uh, the, the content. What is it, Dearth? uh but sucks I, sucks to be at the yacht club with the bottom three teams in each yeah. division like nobody wants to <laughs> it, it's 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 like that you're you're on like punishment island on survivor where like nobody really wants to be there you just want to get back in the game 
Dude, I actually did a ridiculous amount of research into each one of these hotels to see like the amenities they have. Raptors have a really nice pool. Like they got a really like stand out one of a kind. It's a tiki themed pool with a big Aztec waterfall that falls down into it. Gorgeous, gorgeous thing. It's the newest of the hotels. Very, very beautiful facility that they that they've got there. Um going to be interesting to see who gets the best chefs, you know, like who who ends up getting the the top rated guys. I I can't wait for more hotel talk. I will say selfishly, I hope that Jamal Crawford lands somewhere and I hope that I I think that he is the only guy that I'm interested in just because he's such a good player that I hope he ends up getting a close to his career that that he wants. So that over the next couple of days, I'm sure someone will sign him because I can't imagine every team out there thinks that their G League players are better than Jamal Crawford, but yeah, just give me one more moment. Give me my Brandon Roy moment with Jamal Crawford, another Seattle guy, where I can just have that. Even if it's a regular season game, he does get a playoff rotation. Even if he's just playing again for the Phoenix Suns, just something. Let me have a, a walk-off with, with Jamal Crawford. Please, let it happen. Please, NBA. Thank you. That's the PSA for Jamal Crawford. Uh, anything else? Or just what's on Ryder's block? What do you got this week? Anything you know? You and Deitch, uh, every weekday for the rest of the week? Every weekday for the Good rest luck. of the week. Two to hey, five. enjoy the baseball uh, talk, buddy. Enjoy that. You're going to really love it. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I suspect there'll be a lot of baseball and Confederate flag talk. So yeah, this is where yeah. we are. Yeah, it's good Both times. Ugly situations for different reasons. Yeah, good times. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast. You can leave a review. You can follow us on Twitter or wherever you like to uh, do your social media. Uh, thanks to our producer, Michael Myers. We'll talk to you next week.